0: Well, good morning again and welcome everybody. How are you? Do I have any Huskies in the house? (laughs) What a game, am I right? How many of you don't care? Okay, that's fair, that's fair. I um, had the spoiling honor and privilege to get to go to the game, so I know, I know. I know, right? Okay, so enough about that. I'm going to tell you why I'm here, and that's actually to give announcements for this morning. And the first one is this. Tomorrow night, we will gather here in this space for our very last um, prayer evening. And um, if you haven't come yet, we just encourage you to come. It is between 7 and 9 p.m. The doors are open. You can come on in for any amount of time that makes sense to you. If you have kids that you want to bring with you, and they can kind of um, uh, keep a sacred space, um, is that, that's a tactful way to say, you know well-behaved children, um, but please come and do that with them as well if you think that they could handle something like that. It's kind of a special thing that that you can do together as a family if you'd like to. So I want to invite you to that. Um, there's prayer guides, and it walks you through the entire thing. Many people walk out of here and go, whoa, I had no idea that I had that much to say to God. Um, So it's really a beautiful thing that we get to do together and transform this place a little bit into a um, time to just kind of connect with our Father. And then Tuesday, the day after that, we will have our distribution at Cedar Way and Vision House. And if you're interested in helping with those items, um, we invite you to do that. And um, there's a list, a digital sign-up list, and you can receive that by texting the word HELPING to the Brookview number that's on the screen for you at home or right here behind me. Um, And any items that you bring can be brought to the side building here during um, Monday or Tuesday by 10 AM. And we will be excited to take those with us and help people. And last month, normally we serve 30 people and so we prepare for 30 people and last month we had 48 cars pull up and it was crazy and we just kind of there's a storage space that the, um, the gal that is the family resource advocate at Cedar Way she keeps kind of a cupboard of overflow for when kids show up in the middle of the week and they have needs she discreetly sends that home with them in their backpacks and we just cleaned that baby out. So we were able to get something to every car that pulled up, um, and it's just a beautiful thing. We are noticing an uptick in that um, around the holidays as people are just facing more food insecurity. So thank you. Thank you for your partnership in that and just this reliable thing, this reliable way that we get to show up every month. Um, Christmas is coming, And we are going to do two separate things. First of all, on Sunday, December 17th, we will be having our outdoor Christmas from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock PM, which will be fire pits and s'mores and a photo booth and um, a carol sing here inside of the building. So if you're really, really cold, come for the carol sing portion of it. Um, But we do that rain, snow, shine. We hope for shine, but I know that it's nighttime. Clear skies, I guess, is what it... We want a cloud cover because that keeps it a little warmer, doesn't it? Okay, so we'll request that. Maybe some of you can pray for that at the prayer night. (laughs) Okay, but moving along then on December 24th, Christmas Eve, we'll be here um, in this space, and we will have traditional carols that we'll be singing together by candlelight. Um, And so that is from 730 to 830, and it is family-friendly. We won't have child care for that. And the 17th and the 24th, um, those evening gatherings are in lieu of our morning gathering. So we will not have our regular church service um, that Sunday, those two Sundays. And so there's that. No? Yeah, we got nothing. I felt like, oh, no. I forgot. (laughs) Okay, move on. Connect cards are on your seats. We would love for you to fill them out and provide feedback. No. I hope you give us five stars. You guys, we're on Google, and we there's stars that people give, and I've always just been a little like, what is that? Okay, I digress. Okay, those of you that are watching online, we'd love for you to go to brookviewchurch.com and fill out that online connect card as well. We love hearing from you throughout the week. That's all I got. I'm out.
1: All I- right.
2: Guys, we've been in this uh, this prayer series forever, <laughs> have we not? And you're like, is it going to come to an end? We got two more weeks left. Um, but today, I, I want us to think about. We're going to get real simple. I want us to think about some of the biggest prayer barriers, because there are certain challenges that many of us face in prayer. And today, what I want to do is I want to help you see that you you do not face these barriers alone Um, these are not a you problem okay these are just common human struggles and I want to offer some practical tips for getting past them and what I'll tell you is for me prayer has not come easily as I have followed Jesus there have been certain aspects of it that have come real naturally for me and this is not one of them it has been a battle and over time, I've grown a ton, but it's mostly through just practice and persistence and just staying at it. I've stayed at it and stayed at it until it has kind of become a natural and vital part of my life. But along the way, I have faced battles with, with and struggles that, with prayer that have felt insurmountable. Um, in the early years, you guys, praying with and in front of, of people was utterly terrifying. Um, it was so awkward. I felt like fish out of water. And I know that for many of you, especially if this is new for you, praying in front of other people or with other people feels so awkward and intimidating. And instead of a simple conversation with God, it starts to feel a whole lot more like you're performing. And so you hate it. And I can so relate to that. I think a lot of people can. And um, I am going to share one of my absolutely least favorite, uh, cringiest movie scenes of all time. Uh, This is a character named Greg Fokker. And he is meeting his girlfriend's parents for the first time, and he is asked, spur of the moment, to say grace at the dinner table. Okay, you guys, what movie does this come from? Oh, my gosh. Feel the awkwardness of this. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well,
1: uh, Greg's Jewish, Dad.
2: You know that. You're telling me.
1: Jews don't pray, honey. Unless you have some objection. No, 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 no. No, I'd love to. Pam, come on. It's not like I'm a rabbi or something. (laughs) I said grace at many a dinner table. It's Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day, day by day, by day, oh, dear Lord, three things we pray, to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. My day, Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely.
2: Okay, how many of you have at least felt a little bit uncomfortable in the context of of like communal corporate prayer at some point? Oh. Man, when you're when you're like suddenly praying in front of people and you're not used to it, it's so awkward. But of course, praying for one another and praying with one another, this is like a really important part of following Jesus together, right? And and it's a big part of fellowship. It's a big part of loving one another. It's a big part of being on mission together. But for me, praying with other people felt a lot like this scene for a long, long time. Like getting to a place where I could stop performing and just be sincere, it took a lot of time, it took a lot of exposure, it took doing it over and over, and of course, God doesn't want to show, right? He wants sincerity. And when we read about Jesus in the gospels, he's, he's consistently confronted by an insincere religious community. People who, who hadn't learned to love God or people Men who were pretending to be something that they weren't, and they were painting a problematic picture of spirituality for the community. Like their teaching and their example were barriers for the entire community. So in Matthew 23, Jesus just kind of lets them have it with a series of, of warnings. And let me just read you a couple of these, the things that Jesus said to them. This is Matthew 23, starting in verse 25. says, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites!' You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. He goes on, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness, right? The the Pharisees practiced a spirituality that was an adventure in missing the point. And the main issue was simply their hearts. Like they looked holy and they looked pious and polished on the outside, but their hearts were so, so far from the heart of the Father. So Jesus had to show people what loving God looks like. He had to reteach some of the most basic elements of the faith. And so Jesus taught a ton on the beauty of authentic and simple prayer. And in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us two things that we should avoid in prayer. And the first one is simply this. He says, Don't try to impress people. Here's what Jesus said about prayer to his disciples. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Okay, talking again about the Pharisees. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would pray these magnificent prayers, and they'd pray them as publicly as possible to be heard by the masses. And Jesus calls them hypocrites, which in that day and age simply meant actors. Like it was just a a, a Greek word for actors in a Greek play. People pretending to be something that they aren't. So Jesus says, don't be an actor. Don't be a pretender. He says, don't be like those guys because they've received their reward in full. In other words, when people ooh and ah over them and they're like, man, that's so spiritual and he's so deep and he's, I want to be like that guy. Jesus is like, that's it. That's the whole reward. That's all they're getting out of it because they're missing the whole point of, of prayer And he continues, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is not condemning communal prayer with other people. Right? Because Jesus prayed with others. And he expected his disciples to pray together he expected them to pray with one another and for one another and the point is not absolutely always pray in solitude the point is don't try to impress people Uh, my first consistent experience with communal prayer came when i was in college brand new to following jesus right i was brand new to church and to groups and to prayer And in the college group, there was this one girl who just loved to pray. She would have spent the entire college group just making it like a two-hour prayer meeting. And when she prayed, you guys, it was like a transcendent experience where she became someone else. Um, She would overuse God's name and then quote all this scripture. So it was just like, Lord God, Jesus, Abba, Father. In your word, it says, And then she would just quote scripture after scripture after scripture. And she had memorized a lot of scripture. And she seemed really eager to show everybody. And she had a prayer voice that was different from her normal voice. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And I wanted to crawl out of my skin. It felt like a huge show. And then, you guys, there was this other super spiritual guy that was in the group. And it felt like to me like he was dueling with the prayer chick. He was just trying to outdo her, and so when he then it would become his turn to, and you could tell he was about to pray because he would start all this deep breathing. <laughs> right, <was> just a, <sighs> <sighs> and then he would use the biggest, like most theological words he could think of, right? Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim. You are the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega. Jehovah Jireh. Your salvation is my hope. I thank you for redemptive, sanctifying, regeneration, rege, regenerating, propiti- propitiatory work of, of, of your spirit that comes through the crucifixion and the resurrection. I'm like... <laughs> and he too, he had a prayer voice. I'm like, oh. And he used all this lofty language. And it just, it just felt to me like he was showing off more than he was really talking to a friend. So I'm sitting there in group, right, and I'm just sweating. And I know this is going around the circle, and it's coming to me. And other people, you guys, other people in the group are giving, like, affirming spiritual grunts. Mmm. Ah. Yes, Lord. That's good. They're just affirming these two. And I'm thinking, don't do that. You're encouraging it. Right? Right? Have you ever felt like you were experiencing anything like this? Like, I didn't know how to participate, and I, I, honestly, I didn't want to. I just wanted to run out of the room. And also, I resented and I judged them. So here's the thing. Now that I've been around, like, Christianity and community and groups and all that for a while, I can sort of look back on that with a little bit of perspective. Most of the problem was me. Communal prayer was new and it was foreign to me and so I felt horribly deficient, like I would be exposed and rather than working through it, I judged. And while I do think there was a little bit of insincerity and a little bit of showing off in that group, looking back, I don't think it was all showing off. Like, I think they were young Christians and they were learning how to be in community. They were learning how to pray in community just like me. And and I was scared and uncomfortable, and so I preferred to stay silent. They fumbled around by like going over the top. But we were all learning, and we were all learning together. And so I really should have had a lot more grace. So I'll I'll say this: as as I've walked with Jesus, I've I've learned to pray in groups, and I will tell you guys, some of my sweetest times in community have been centered around communal prayer. Being a part of a community that's Crying out together to God for something or loving each other by praying for one another, that is just beautiful. So the point of what Jesus is saying here is not you should only ever pray alone. What he's saying is don't try to impress people. Praying with other people is a good thing, a vital thing, but avoid using prayer as a way to show off or get noticed. And most of your prayer should be done alone anyway. Like while we need to pray with and for one another, Most of our prayer experience should be coming in solitude. Uh, While it obviously, you know, it's where it's obviously not going to be about impressing people in the first place. But that leads to a second thing to avoid in prayer. Jesus is, this is so good. He just basically says, don't try to impress God. He goes on to say, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So it's not, it's not about using the right words or the right tone. It's not about stringing together spiritual-sounding phrases. It's not about using the right combo of, of magic words. It's not about your cadence or your style. It's about your heart. God doesn't want eloquence. He wants sincerity. So Jesus is saying, don't try to impress God. God's not waiting for just the right magic words to unlock some sort of response. You know, when I I was a kid, um, we were taught that there's a magic word. And if we asked for something and we didn't use the magic word, the grown-ups would hold that thing that we wanted away from us, and they would say, what's the magic word? (laughs) Do people still say this to children? So I always found that kind of odd because it was sort of like, you can have anything you want as long as you say, please. please. Does that seem a strange thing to teach kids? Okay, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. That's, <laughs> it's, it's not a sermon on parenting, but my, here's my point. Je- Jesus was clear that when it comes to prayer, there are no magic words. It, it isn't about praying epic or overly spiritual or, or poetic sounding prayers. Um, Tyler Staten says it this way, and I love this. He says... God is looking for relationship, not well-prepared speeches spoken from perfect motives. When it comes to prayer, God isn't grading papers. He's talking to children. God isn't looking for perfectly crafted presentations. He just wants real talk with his kids. Um, how many of you are parents of teenagers these days? We got any teenage parents in here? Oh, a lot of you. You think about this and you go, is, is this not what we, what we long for? deep down in relationship with our teens, right? I I just want them to share their heart with me, to open up. I want them to seek me and trust me and talk to me. I I want them to bring me in on how they're feeling and and what they're thinking and allow me to help them process it all. Now, you and I have a father that longs for the same thing. Authentic prayer includes, um, uh, includes two vital things. First, share your heart. God longs for us to come to him with whatever's on our heart. I mean, there's just two vital things. Share your heart is the first. Include him in whatever's going on inside of you. In gratitude as you worship, share your worries, your fears, go to him with your pain. Um, Paul says it this way. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Share what's going on. And Peter echoes that thought writing this. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God wants you to come to him and share your heart. And now here's something I think gets in the way for many of us when it comes to this. It isn't so much that we want to be fake people or we're like trying to be inauthentic. It's just that in our day and age, we struggle to be fully present, like with anything, with each other. And so sometimes we we pray without thinking, just engage God kind of half-heartedly. For example, maybe you've seen something like this. A family sits down to a meal that is a nutritional nightmare, and they say grace before the meal that goes like this, God, please use this meal to keep us healthy. Really? That's a prayer from the heart? I mean, in a sense, that's kind of like a fifth grader praying during the test, God, please make Portland the capital of Oregon. (laughs) That's just not really how God works. So if you're sitting down to eat a horribly imbalanced, non-nutritious meal, and you want to give God a sincere prayer of thanks, it might be a lot more authentic to say something like, tonight, God, we're, we're celebrating something really cool and special. Thanks for giving us this feast to be able to enjoy together. Thanks for giving us more than we need to live on. And as we come together to feast, help us to build into one another. Or maybe it's God tonight, we we have to eat on the run. Because we have life group and one kid has soccer practice and another kid has taekwondo. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for McDonald's and for drive-thru. And thanks for a life filled with a smorgasbord of good things for our kids to be involved in. Or maybe it's, God, thank you that, that we get to be with our friends and eat stuff we really enjoy. Like, thank you for this time to be together with good food, good friends. So prayer without thinking just becomes shallow and insincere. It's, it's kind of like we're, we're, we're engaging God, but not really. It's like we're not fully present in the moment. And in our culture, it's so easy to be physically present and mentally absent. This is how many of us live most of our days. And the, the more that I do that, the more I miss the beautiful moments, right? I miss out on relationships and opportunities. So I'm, if I'm sitting down for dinner with the family, then I want to be fully present with the family. If I'm talking with my kids, then as much as I can, I want to be fully present. If I'm working and I'm writing a sermon, I want to be fully engaged in it. It's so easy to be only halfway present in any given moment. But if, if this is what we're doing in prayer, it can never become really heartfelt. And here's what what's been a massive uh, struggle for me over the years. Uh, I I've been diagnosed and I suffer with a condition known as sad. Um, it's spiritual attention deficit disorder. <laughs> sad. So so here's what happens. Here's here are the here's the symptom. Uh, I sit down to pray with good intentions. And my mind is all over the place. So in the middle of the prayer, I start thinking about the meeting later in the day, or I'm going, hmm, I wonder what's for lunch today, or what was that sound? <laughs> By the way, that reminds me. And suddenly, right, my, my prayer is totally derailed. And I just want to tell you, if, if you struggle with this, this is so normal, and this is human. Um, Henry Nouwen is like, one of the renowned Christian mystics of our day. Like he is a guru on prayer and and asceticism and being alone and solitude. And he's a deeply reflective, contemplative Christian author. He's become a master of meditation and reflection and prayer. And you guys, even Henry Nouwen battles wandering thoughts. Um, Sometimes he says that during prayer, his thoughts jump around like monkeys on trees. And I can totally relate to that. So the battle for most of us is, like, how do we get the monkeys to settle down? And so let me give you just a couple of basic practical ideas. First, try to, re- try to create the right environment. Try to find a space and a place that, that limits distractions, right? That's obvious. Second, take a little time to prepare. Get your mind focused and settled. Maybe you read a little first, or maybe you listen to some music. For me, I'll often watch, okay, I'm an intellectual. My pathway is intellectual, right? So I'll watch a Bible project video. Super helpful to me. Or maybe you take some deep breaths, just calm yourself. And then third, and I found this super helpful, I I pray out loud unless the situation dictates that I can't. Because when I stay in my head, it's just so much easier for me to drift. So if I can pray out loud, it's just so much easier for me to stay dialed in. Now, sometimes I'm around people and and so I need to pray silently. But for me, given the choice, I pray out out loud every single time. And then there's something that's become pretty big for me over the last eight, nine, 10 years. Um, at times, I actually now write out my prayers, like I journal them. And I'm finding that when I write them out, I drift much, much less. And even if I do drift, here's the cool thing, I can just pick up where I left off. And when I'm writing my prayers, I, I stay so much more focused. These days, that practice often, uh, most often takes the form of something called soaping. soaping. Um, and soaping is everything I just mentioned. It's, it's, it's reflectant. It's like a written reflection on scripture and that kind of settles the mind. And then it's a written prayer, but you can also just grab a journal and, and write out prayers in the journal. And I've discovered that there's a, a really cool secondary perk to written prayers. And it's that every so often, three months or six months or nine months or a year or whatever, um, I just go back and I, and I read what I've been praying about. You guys, it's so cool. Because when I take in then all that I've been talking to God about over the last several months or year or so, it is incredible to see the way that he's working in me and around me in the ways that I've been asking him to. It's like every time I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, And then I I just want to suggest trying one final thing to battle mind drift. And this might be completely revolutionary for some of you. And it might change, it might completely change your, your prayer experience. If your mind keeps bouncing to the same thing, pray about that thing. If your mind keeps drifting to the same thing, then why not pray about that thing instead? If your thoughts keep drifting to the same topic, there might be a reason for that. It might be that that's what's on your heart. Uh, C.S. Lewis once wrote, It is no use to ask God for A when our whole mind is in reality filled with a desire for B. We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. So if you want to be authentic, you you got to share your real heart. And John Ortberg suggested that maybe we should think of it this way. He said, it may well be that when your mind wanders, it is wandering to what your heart most needs to talk with God about. It may be far better to think of these wandering thoughts as stepping stones to prayer rather than as barriers. And so maybe that thing that your mind keeps drifting to is what you need to pray about most. Maybe that's the thing that's authentically on your heart. Maybe that isn't the case and you know it. Maybe that thing really is a distraction. And if, if that's, that thing is getting in the way, then here's what you do. You talk to God about that. Father, I, I sense you want me to care about different things but I'm struggling. God, I need you to help me. Help my heart become fully yours. Help me to see the world the way you see it. Help me to care about what you care about. Like that's authentic, that's real, which is what God wants. But to pretend you care about stuff you don't, like what good is that? And here's what I know about human relationships. To have a truly intimate relationship with somebody requires we share with each other what we really care about. So I'm not gonna have a very strong relationship with my wife if she never talks to me about what she really cares about. Like, I want all of it. I want, I want anger, I want excitement, I want fear, confusion, hurt, hope, all of it. And I want the same thing with my kids. And as they age, they perfect the art of hiding. You notice that? How many of you had toddlers? Well, we did the teenagers. How many of you had toddlers? Raise them high. I know you're tired, but. <laughs> You guys, toddlers don't hide very well. They mostly reveal exactly what they're thinking. All right, but your 10-year-old? Your 13-year-old? Your 17-year-old? Like, I want to know what my kids are authentically thinking and feeling. Even if they're mad at me or they feel like I'm being unfair, I, I I want them to talk to me about it. I want, like, even the hard stuff. I'd rather them tell me their frustrations than just go silent on me. Uh, Which leads me to one last thought about sharing our hearts with God. What do you do if you're mad at God? Like, What do you do if you feel hurt or abandoned or ignored or forgotten? Well, the answer is the same. You share your heart with God. I mean, in the Bible, David is called called by God, a man after God's own heart. And David faced so much disappointment and loss and pain and injustice. And he, he, he wrestled with confusion and anger. At times he was raging. He felt abandoned by God. He felt ignored. But David refused to go silent with God. Even in the hard stuff, he cried out to God with all of it. Um, there's just negative emotions woven through all the Psalms, not just David, but all the writers of the Psalms. Um, But here's Psalm 13. Check out David just crying out to God. He says, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David, even when he was confused and hurt and didn't feel God, he refused to just go silent and just forget about God. He took his real feelings and he brought them to God. How long, Lord, will you, will you forgive me forever? And for some of you, you may be in a place like that today. What in the world do you do with that? The only thing that I, I know is don't go silent on God. Don't turn your back and walk away. Talk to him about it. Share your heart, your real heart. Like he can take it. It's the only way for you to be authentic. And that's what he wants. He wants the real you, all of you. You know, the, the Psalms are, are worship songs or prayers like from the ancients. And, and the Psalms, if you've ever, like, just read through the book of Psalms, they can be confusing. Because in the Psalms, you find crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Like, I, so, I follow the Moravian uh, Bible reading plan, and I know many of you do. Um, and just this last week, I was reading Psalm 137. Psalm 137. It goes like this. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundations. So the writer is remembering the day Babylon destroyed his city, the day everything was demolished, the day his people and his family, including children and infants, were slaughtered. And he's saying, God never forget the evil that was done to us. And we get that. We can relate to that. But listen to his very human desire for God to avenge them. In verse 8, daughter Babylon Doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Let that sink in. Praise God. What? The the psalms reveal every kind of human emotion and motive. Some of the words and prayers go directly against the teaching of Jesus. They go directly against the heart and the character of God, meaning some of the psalms are technically heretical. So why would prayers like that be included in the Bible? Because they're honest. And this is what makes the psalms so powerful. God is looking for relationship, real, raw, unfiltered relationship. And in David, God listened to overreacting rage and dramatic despair. God listened to confusion and even frustration with God himself. And he said, David, that guy right there is a man after my own heart. So you guys, if God can delight in prayers as dysfunctional as they come in the psalms, He can handle yours without you cleaning them up first. If the Bible tells us anything about how to pray, it says that God prefers the rough draft full of rants and typos to the polished, edited version. The way your motives change isn't by going off in a corner by yourself apart from God and getting it all fixed and put together so that you can come back to Him polished and perfected. The way that your motives change is talking to God with such brutal honesty that He, in the midst of your prayers and in the midst of your brokenness, can refine your motives as you walk with Him and dialogue with Him. And your complaints are welcome. It does no good to pretend to feel something you don't. It does no good to pretend to be something you aren't. Be real. Learn to share your heart, whatever your, your heart really is. Um, and that just leads me to one final thought about prayer. And this is a big one. If prayer is going to be dynamic and alive, we need to share our heart. But also, the ultimate goal is to allow, is to allow you to share God's heart. Right? The, the primary, the primary uh, gateway, prayer is the primary gateway to, the relationship, to a relationship with God. And any relationship has to be more than me telling someone else what I care about. It's discovering what the other person cares about. Uh, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is such a vital part of a growing relationship with God. God, help me to understand what you care about, right? Help me to bring about that in, in my life and in, in the world around me. What, is, what does God want to see happen where, where you work? What does he want to see happen in, in your home? What does God dream for our church? What does God want for the families in in your neighborhood? What kind of neighborhood does he envision? God, what's your heart toward me? God, when you look at me, what do you see? And sometimes I think he just wants us to feel his love and his grace. Not all of his words to us are a command to go do something. So much of what he wants to communicate to us is how valuable we are to him. He wants us to let him share his heart for us, to just let ourselves be his beloved children. And here's the cool thing. When we sincerely ask God to see things as he does, ourselves included, when we sincerely ask that, he promises to open our eyes. Um, James, the little brother of Jesus, said it like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God loves to give wisdom. He loves to open our eyes when we ask for it sincerely. He loves to help us see as he sees and feel as he feels. There's a fantastic verse in the middle of 2 Chronicles. Kind of a brutal book. But this verse in the middle of 2 Chronicles, I absolutely love this picture. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking all over the earth for people who will share his heart. He will strengthen them. He will equip them. He will give them power. And that's why this is such a, a vital part of prayer. we gotta, we got to share God's heart. And how do we do that? And I guess I'd say this. Just ask him to help us see as he sees. Ask him to help us feel as he feels. And I think that this is a prayer that God honors every time that it's sincerely prayed. When I look at my prayers over the last 10 years, and I've asked God to do this with people or stuff in the world or in my life. It is amazing how God meets me in it. God, help me to, help me to see what you see and feel what you feel. Father, help me to, to feel what you feel for me. Help me to feel what you feel for the world. Help me to feel what you feel toward the poor and the hurting. Help me to feel what you feel toward those that have wounded me. God, help me to feel what you feel toward my sister and my brother and my mom and my dad help me to feel what you feel toward the people i work with help me to feel what you feel toward people that are running from you help me to feel what you feel toward my kids help me to feel what you feel about everything god help me to share your heart father and one of the great miracles that happens through consistent sincere prayer is just the knitting together of our heart with the heart of god Prayer is more than than sharing myself with God. It's allowing Him to share Himself with me. And prayer is the concrete expression of the reality that my life is a partnership. I'm not alone. I'm not facing this world alone. I can walk intimately with one who loves me, one who wants to use me to change His world, who wants heaven to come to me and then desires for heaven to flow through me to others. You guys, this series has been really, it's been interesting for me because in thinking through my feelings toward prayer, I've realized that, man, over the last 30 years, God has taken me on a crazy journey. I mean, I've gone from someone wanting to run out of the room during prayer to someone that, like, facilitates rooms of people praying. I have gone from prayer being the most awkward thing to walking through seasons of my life, and I'm telling you this, as a matter of fact, I would not have survived without prayer. Um, and this series has helped me reflect on, on how God has sort of met me. And here's what I've discovered over time. God honors persistence. The, the, the journey with God isn't a one-day sprint. As Eugene Peterson says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And Jesus says, ask Seek, knock, and the door will be opened. And, and I, I really have encountered the truth of this by knocking and seeking and the asking. And it's like, it's gone day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And it's not primarily been about like a huge burst of intensity, right? It's about this unrelenting persistence, a hunger for more of God and his way and his kingdom. It's an unwillingness to just settle for status quo. Just keep knocking. Tyler Staten says says it this way. He says, most of us get about knee deep in the Christian life, discover that the water feels fine, and stop there. We never swim in the depths of the divine intimacy Jesus won for us. Jesus is inviting us into the deep end of the pool. But we only learn to swim through persistence. And so, to close today, I I just want to address those of you that feel, that feel inadequate, that you feel inadequate in anything spiritual, in anything. I mean, and maybe you're here and you're, and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm just not really a spiritual person. I don't pray very much or I don't pray very well or I don't know the Bible very well and it's super confusing to me. I've got sin issues in my life and I, I don't think I'll ever overcome them. I've got relational challenges in my life, in my marriage, or with my kids, or other problems with people going on. And I don't see, I honestly don't see how it's ever going to get better. I don't see how it ever could. If you're here today and you feel that or you feel anything like that, I, I just want to tell you that this is, this is why prayer matters so much. Because as I've looked back over my life... With Jesus in the last 30 years, here's what I've seen again and again. What is impossible for you today can become possible for you tomorrow. And it, it might be the reality of prayer itself in your life, or it could be one of a million other things. But if you learn to pray, if you keep seeking and knocking and asking, what's impossible for you today can become possible for you tomorrow. And so my invitation to you is, is just this. Don't give up. Keep walking keep struggling, keep fighting, and whatever else you do, keep praying. If you have trouble focusing, keep praying. If you feel like God has abandoned you and let you down, ignored you, keep praying. God honors persistence, so keep praying. Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. And as unnatural as it seems at times, I thank you for the blessing that it's been in my life and in the lives of so many. And I just pray for, for all of us that we would not settle for status quo. Uh, we wouldn't, as Tyler, Tyler says, kind of go knee deep and say the water feels fine. Um, but we would, we would long to swim and get to the deep end with you. And I pray that you would meet us in our hunger for you Um, pray that you would meet us in our attempts in our seeking and knocking and asking god would you reveal yourself to us and would you reveal stuff to us that is deeper and more beautiful than anything we we could ever imagine help us to walk with you amen